0: Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Our guest today is Dr. John P. Clancy, Professor in the University of Cincinnati Department of Pediatrics at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. We're here to talk about the clinical aspects of the information in Dr. Clancy's recent newsletter issue on emergent disease-modifying therapies in cystic fibrosis. The Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie, and Shaisi USA. Learning objectives for this audio program include describe the potential side effects that may occur with CFTR modulator treatment, discuss which patients are candidates for CFTR modulators, and what short- and long-term benefits might be seen, and summarize the potential disease-modifying therapies in clinical development to treat cystic fibrosis. Dr. Clancy has disclosed that he has served on clinical trial contracts for Bayer, Concert, ProQR, and Vertex, clinical trial grant review contracts for Gilead, clinical ad board contracts for Novalis, and an unbranded educational talk for Genzyme. He has indicated that there will be no references to the unlabeled or unapproved uses of any drugs or products in today's discussion. Dr. Clancy, thank you for joining
1: us today. Oh, thank you so much for the kind invitation and the opportunity to discuss some exciting new therapies that are coming to CF patients.
0: In your newsletter issue, doctor, you reviewed some of the key literature about recent research in CFTR modulator therapy. Today, our focus is on how some of that new information can be applied in the clinic. So start us out, if you would, please, with a patient scenario.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. Our first patient is an 11-year-old young lady with CF and a genotype of F508-DEL homozygous. This young lady has an FEV1 of 80% predicted, and she is currently prescribed several routine CF therapies, including twice-daily airway clearance, once-daily inhaled Dornase Alpha, twice-daily inhaled hypertonic saline, azithromycin, 250 milligrams taken orally three times a week, pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy with meals and with snacks, and fat-soluble vitamin supplements. Her body mass index is 35th percentile, and her oropharyngeal cultures are typically positive for methicillin-sensitive staph aureus, but not pseudomonas aeruginosa. She was started on lumacaftor-ivacaftor therapy about three months ago, and she's coming back to clinic today, and her parents have a number of questions about her being started on this CFTR-modifying therapy.
0: Let's assume that one of their first questions would be about the potential side effects of this treatment. What specifically should they be aware of?
1: So whenever we start patients on new therapies, obviously we need to discuss what the potential side effects that could be seen so that one, obviously to make sure that patients are are safe and two, if there are side effects that aren't dangerous, so the patients are aware and they're not caught off guard. The first one that's probably been most commonly reported is some chest tightness that's observed in patients when they begin ivacaftor, lumacaftor. Some around 10 to 15% of patients in the larger studies did describe some chest tightness that was prominent over the first one to two weeks that they were on Ivacaftor, Lumacaftor. Thankfully, this doesn't seem to be in and of itself a persistent problem. And usually we can manage it by using bronchodilators. Sometimes we have to reduce the dose briefly and then step it back up. But usually over the first one to two weeks, those feelings of chest tightness resolve. There are other sort of standard types of things that we are following for patients when we start them on modulators. One is following liver function tests. They're basically recommended quarterly for the first year and then to continue on a once-year basis like we do for routine CF care also some potential drug-drug interactions which have to be thought about in patients treated with Ivocaptor, Lumocaptor. Specifically, one of the antibiotics we sometimes use to treat Staph aureus is rifampin. That can certainly have interactions with Ivocaptor, Lumocaptor. And also antifungals, some of the azole-type oral antifungals have the capacity to interact with these drugs. So it's just when those medications are used at the same time, it's good to go back to the product insert and review how doses should be adjusted. Finally, there's been some associations of ivacaftor and cataracts in younger patients. Most of this is based on animal studies. However, it has been recommended by the FDA that patients have yearly ophthalmologic examinations to ensure that cataracts are not observed, particularly in our younger CF population.
0: Another question our family is likely to have is about the potential benefits of this therapy. Starting out with the short-term benefits, what might be expected?
1: Patients, when they start Ivacaftor, Lumacaftor, can have some small improvements in lung function. It's on the order of about 3% FEV1 predicted, which honestly may be difficult for a patient to really notice. I mean, that's a relatively small effect in terms of absolute change in lung function. There is, however, a bigger effect on disease stability and particularly risks of pulmonary exacerbation, and there's also generally a reduction in pulmonary symptoms such as cough or general respiratory feeling. If you look, you will find that in general, sweat chloride values will go down in patients who are treated with ivacaftor, lumacaftor, and this can be on the range of 20 to 25 points depending on age of patients. I'm not sure if a patient would necessarily feel that difference, but perhaps that would be relevant in a a hot environment where sweat losses of sodium and chloride could be more important. But the biggest effects really seem to be on disease stability and respiratory symptoms that a patient might notice on a day-to-day basis.
0: And the longer-term benefits this patient might anticipate?
1: What we've learned from longer-term studies of ivacaftor, lumacaftor is that the risk of pulmonary exacerbations or basically the risk of hospitalizations or need for IV antibiotics for pulmonary symptoms is reduced by about a third. And in addition to that, there are improvements in body mass index. So often over time, patients will gain some weight if that's been a problem. And really, the most exciting thing I would note is that lung function decline is altered, and what that really means is that when we look at lung function over time in CF patients, there is a certainly a a tendency to lose lung function. Unfortunately, and this becomes most pronounced typically during adolescence. When we look at patients who are treated with Ivacaftor Lumacaftor compared with controls, their loss of lung function is cut in half, and this change in the trajectory of lung function. Decline is really what we really represents modification of the disease. Again, that meaning that the disease course is fundamentally altered. Why we're excited about that is if we project that slowed loss of lung function over years and decades, we think that's going to amount to many, many years of added life and wellness and health for CF patients. Thank you for that case and discussion, Doctor.
0: And we'll continue with Dr. John Clancy from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center in just a moment. This is Bob Busker, and I'm managing editor of Cystic Fibrosis Review. Cystic Fibrosis Review is a combination newsletter and podcast program delivered via email to subscribers. Newsletters are published every other month. Each issue reviews the current literature in areas of importance to pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, infectious disease specialists, pediatricians, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, nurses, and physical therapists. Bimonthly podcasts are also available as downloadable transcripts, providing case-based scenarios to help bring that new information into practice in the clinic. Subscription to E. Cystic Fibrosis Review is provided without charge or prerequisite. Continuing education credit for each issue and each podcast is provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information on this educational activity, to subscribe to and receive E. Cystic Fibrosis Review without charge, and to access back issues, please go to our website, www.esysticfibrosisreview.org. I'd also like to tell you about the CF Family Day Meeting Builder. This is a one-stop shop to help you create patient and caregiver educations and family day meetings. To find out more, please visit www.cffamilyday.org. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. We've been talking with Dr. John Clancy from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center about current and emerging disease-modifying therapies in cystic fibrosis and how some of the new information presented in his newsletter issue can affect clinical practice. Uh, So to continue in that vein, doctor, please bring us another patient scenario.
1: So I'd be happy to. Our next patient is a six-year-old young lady with cystic fibrosis and a genotype of G551D and 1303K. This patient has an FEV1 of 92% predicted and is currently prescribed several routine CF therapies, including twice-daily airway clearance, once-daily inhaled Dornay's Alpha, inhaled hypertonic saline with colds, pancreatic replacement enzymes with meals and snacks, and fat-soluble vitamin supplements. Her BMI is 45th percentile, and her oropharyngeal cultures are typically positive for H-influenza. She does not grow either MRSA or pseudomonas.
0: The considerations for starting Ivacaftor in a patient like this. What's important for clinicians and families to know?
1: So we've gained a fair amount of experience with Ivacaftor over the last five years and I think most of us in the CF treating community feel quite comfortable starting this medication. There are some things that are recommended, for example, monitoring of liver function tests on a quarterly basis for the first year. There's also recommendations to monitor for cataracts as there were some studies, particularly in juvenile animals that suggested a relationship between Ivacaftor exposure and detection of cataracts. I don't know if we clearly have cause-effect demonstrated in people yet, but it is recommended at this time that eye exams are done on a yearly basis for patients who are on Ivacaftor, specifically the younger kids. It is important to remember that the medication works best if taken every 12 hours and it also is really important that patients take this with some fat. It doesn't mean they have to eat a lot of fat but usually something small such as cheese or crackers with peanut butter or perhaps yogurt or something along those lines to really help with the absorption because this can really have a pretty profound effect on how much drug actually is available in the bloodstream to be able to do its thing and, and make
0: and the potential benefits of Ivacaftor, what might the parents
1: expect to see in their six-year-old? Ivacaftor has really been shown to be a pretty profoundly effective medication in a number of different mutations. And I would expect that this patient who has a gating mutation that's there, that G551D, would really receive some pretty significant benefits. First of all, patients who start ivacaftor typically see an improvement in lung function very quickly within the first several days to weeks, and depending on the baseline lung function, it can be as much as 10 to 15%. Obviously, this isn't universal, but it's certainly something seen in the majority of patients. In addition to that, weight gain and increase in BMI are also typically seen relatively quickly over the span of several weeks to a few months. There is a pretty significant reduction in pulmonary symptoms, including cough and other respiratory symptoms, mucus production, and so forth. If we look over a little bit longer time frame, it's also been demonstrated that ivacaftor helps to stabilize lung function and helps reduce the loss of lung function over time. In other words, it's helping to modify the disease course and changing trajectory of lung function decline. It can reduce sweat chloride values by about half on average. And while again, a patient may not feel that on a day-to-day basis, it might be important in hot environments where sweat losses could be problematic. There has been some evidence in younger patients that there can be some measurable improvements in pancreatic function. Specifically, the levels of pancreatic enzymes derived from the patient can actually be increased in younger patients. And this is really an exciting possibility that modulators could help improve the function of the pancreas. It's a bit early to say whether that's universal and how well we can predict that, but certainly in younger patients, there have been some reports of improvements in pancreatic activity. Finally, these studies that started in animal models and then were confirmed in some human studies, the airway smooth muscle tone may actually be reduced by ivacaftor in patients with responsive mutations. There's some evidence that suggests that when CFTR is not working correctly, that the bronchial muscles are a bit too tight, they're a bit constricted. And the use of ivacaftor may actually help relax them. And one idea out there or hypothesis is that some of the original, very early improvements in lung function on the span of you know hours to days may represent actually the reduction in airway smooth muscle tone.
0: In your presentation of this patient, doctor, you described her current CF therapies: airway clearance, inhaled dornase alpha, inhaled hypertonic saline, pert. What's the likely impact starting ivacaftor would have on these other therapies?
1: Well, that's usually the first question that a family will ask me is, what else do I have to do? What do I not have to do anymore? And unfortunately, we don't have any studies yet that have really examined whether other therapies can be discontinued. All the studies that have been reported so far have been looking at Ivacaftor in addition to standard of care as opposed to replacing standard of care. So our current recommendations are to continue these other established therapies, but we certainly acknowledge that there is a really a critical need for what I would say novel biomarkers, which are basically things that we could measure that could help us determine when and what is safe to discontinue without long-term risks. I think these studies are not far away, and certainly I think one of the most important questions that we need to answer for the CF community is how many of the routine established therapies are necessary when you have a highly effective modulator therapy. I just unfortunately don't have a clear answer to that one yet, but it's certainly very high on our priority list, CF research community. Sweat chloride. It was
0: one of the biomarkers you talked about in your newsletter issue. Should clinicians be assessing sweat chloride to monitor the benefits of ivacaftor?
1: Sweat chloride has been an incredibly valuable test for diagnosing CF, and it's also been an incredibly valuable biomarker for clinical trials to help demonstrate that these modulators are working the way we think they are. In other words, making the CFTR work better. When CFTR works better, sweat chloride values in CF patients go down. And these have been shown in a number of different studies with a number of different CFTR modulators. Unfortunately, this doesn't really translate very well to the individual, meaning that a patient who starts a modulator may have a clinical benefit but may not have a very dramatic change in their sweat chloride. So although in principle, it seems like we could use it, I think we've come to realize that there is a little bit of a disconnect on a patient-by-patient basis between what happens with the sweat chloride and what happens with the clinical benefit. And therefore, we don't generally recommend doing this routinely and feel like it's really more important to monitor the patient's symptoms, lung function, and other sort of standard aspects of CF symptomatology. Thank you, doctor.
0: And let me ask you one last time to bring us another patient, if you would, please.
1: The next patient I wanted to discuss is a 24-year-old young man with the genotype of G542X and Delta F508. He is on traditional CF therapies, including twice-daily airway clearance, Dornase Alpha once daily, hypertonic saline twice daily, azithromycin three times a week, and pancreatic enzyme replacement with fat-soluble vitamin supplements. He uses inhaled tobramycin twice daily for 28-day cycles on and off, and he does routinely grow mucoid pseudomonas and his lung function is about 58%.
0: So he's got one copy of the F508 DEL mutation. What does the research say about the effects of lumicafter ivacaftor in these patients?
1: Ivacaftor-lumicaftor, unfortunately, has one study from clear clinical benefits in either lung function or weight for patients with one copy of F508 and the second mutation that is non-functional or what we often say is minimal function. The study by Rowe and colleagues which I reported in the accompanying newsletter did suggest that there were some measurable reductions in sweat chloride and some improvements in pulmonary symptoms in patients with one copy of F508 in a second mutation with minimal function. But currently there are no approved modulator therapies for patients who have a single copy of F508del. However, I would like to highlight that some of the studies with the next generation correctors combined with ivacaftor tezacaftor did indeed show benefits for patients with one copy of F508-DEL. And again, these were some of the results reported at the 2017 North American CF Conference. So therefore, we are really excited about this possibility and envision these later phase three studies to begin in 2018.
0: Dr. Clancy, I want to thank you for giving me a perfect transition line because I was just going to ask you about NACFC, the recent North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference, and about the CFTR modifying therapies under development
1: that were highlighted there. There were a number of exciting results that were reported, and I'll, I'll give you some of the highlights from this year's conference. The first had to do with a different modulator combination called Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor. And that, again, is a combination of drugs which are felt to be effective to improve the function of Delta F508, the most common CF-causing mutation, and also some other partial function mutations. And there were two studies that were reported. One was looking at the activity of that combination in patients who had two copies of the F508 mutation. This was a large phase 3 study, and the results indicated that compared with placebo, the combination of tezacaftor and ivacaftor improved the lung function on the order of 3 to 4% and also reduced the risk of pulmonary exacerbations. So in many ways, it looked similar to what was seen with ivacaftor, lumacaftor.
0: Similar, but not exceptionally better?
1: I'd say the big difference was there were really no difference in the report of pulmonary symptoms compared with placebo when initiating that drug. So when I discussed previously that there were some symptoms of chest tightness in some CF patients starting Ivacaftor-Lumacaftor, that didn't seem to be a problem with the combination of Ivacaftor-Tezacaftor. Another result with that combination therapy was looking at patients who had one copy of F508 and a second mutation that was felt to be responsive to Ivacaftor. And in that study, there was also benefit that was shown both with Ivacaftor alone and even more with the combination of Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor. Why that study was exciting is really because it's the first time that we've had one medication that's really targeting both of the CF-causing mutations when they're not the same. And so, the tezacaftor ivacaftor combination helps the Delta F508, while the Ivocaftor is felt to help that second mutation that had some ivacaftor responsiveness. So, again, an example where we're extending the available modulators into new populations, and that data has been submitted to the FDA and hopefully will be available to patients in the not-too-distant future. Building off the success of the tezacaftor ivacaftor studies were studies with a new generation of medications that are called next-generation correctors. And specifically, we know that the F508 mutation is really difficult to fix. It has problems with folding, it has problems with opening, and it's not very stable when it's at the cell membranes. So when we use drugs such as tezacaftor and ivacaftor or lumacaftor and ivacaftor to improve the function of F508, we are still pretty far away from normal levels. What next generation correctors are, are drugs which are able to be added on top of the background of Tezacaftor and ivacaftor to really boost the effectiveness and really improve the function of F5 wave dramatically. There were three different next-generation correctors which were studied. And I won't go into the details of their names. They're all numbers at this point. (laughs) But the exciting thing is they showed very similar trends across the different molecules. And specifically, the combination of next-generation correctors on top of tezacaftor and IvoCaptor helped improve the lung function of patients who had two copies of F508. And probably most importantly, it really helped improve the function of patients who had one copy of F508 a second mutation that was not functional. That was really exciting and we think that if this approach is successful, we may be able to bring this type of therapy to all patients who have at least one copy of F508. That would mean that up to 90% of CF patients would have effective modulator-based therapies. So, these studies right now are just in phase two, but they're setting the stage for a very exciting 2018 as we begin to look at these combinations in phase three studies. So I've really just talked primarily about medications that are under development by the company Vertex, but there's a number of other companies that are developing modulators which are well into clinical trials. And these include Bayer, Galapagos in collaboration with AbbVie, Flatley Discovery Lab, and Novartis. And there were reported results for many of these. They tended to be earlier phase studies, but they provide evidence that indeed we are going to have a variety of different modulators available over time as these drugs continue to be worked through their studies. Finally, I want to highlight one last approach, which was a bit different. Modulators are basically pills that we take by mouth that help to improve the function of CFTR proteins. Another approach is using RNA antisense therapy. And what this is, is an inhaled therapy, which helps to make the RNA templates work more normally and produce a functional CFTR protein. And a company called ProQR has been looking at a RNA antisense therapy that is targeting F508. And they provided data indicating that there was safety and a well-tolerated approach that was only taken three times a week. And when looking at different subgroups of patients treated with inhaled CFTR RNA antisense therapy, they were able to demonstrate that there were some improvements in lung function and symptoms. These effects were uh, pretty exciting, but the caveat is, though, these are pretty small studies. And so we look forward to them moving into phase two, which will really be more definitive to determine whether this approach is able to really lead to clinical benefits. I think we're excited about this because, at least in principle, this approach could be tailored to different CF-causing mutations and, therefore, might be an option for patients who are not candidates for the modulators that are in development.
0: So, all in all, doctor, what do you see happening over the next, uh, let's say, three to five years in the development of CFTR modulator drugs?
1: Well, I hope you can appreciate from some of the studies that I've highlighted that there is an awful lot of research going on seeking to improve current modulator therapies or extend them to new populations. I would predict over the next few years, the CF community will be seeing several options that are going to become available in terms of CFTR modulators, including some novel correctors of F508 DEL, additional potentiators that may be chosen or added to background therapies, And potentially other therapies such as agents that improve the function of CFTR mutations caused by premature termination codons or stop mutations and agents that may actually increase the amount of available CFTR that modulators can then act upon. And these types of drugs are called amplifiers. These last two approaches are earlier in development. The studies of premature stop mutations are mostly in the laboratory right now, while the studies of amplifiers have begun to get into early phase one studies in CF patients. Due to the complexity of the F508 Dell mutation, it looks like optimal benefits will require the addition of add-on correctors, such as next-generation correctors, which were discussed earlier. Finally, next-generation correctors may also be effective for patients who only have one copy of F508. Therefore, I think putting this all together, I think there is a very good chance we'll have highly effective modulator therapies available for well over 90% of CF patients.
0: And a follow-up question, Dr. Clancy. It looks like we're entering a world where all different kinds of CFTR modulators will be available. How should a clinician determine what's the best option for any given patient?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. I think that's going to be one of our more exciting opportunities and challenges in the coming years. There's definitely going to be a need to better assign appropriate therapies to patients when given a variety of different choices. It is possible that we could do testing on samples from patients combining the use of these novel biomarkers to demonstrate some benefits. It's clear that connecting benefits to the best therapies will require working with regulators and third-party payers so that we can ensure that all patients have access to the best treatments for their form of CF. And acknowledging these are lifelong treatment decisions. And so being able to have clear guidance for selecting agents is going to have long term critical impact. Finally, treatment regimens, like all therapies, are best determined by a shared decision-making approach between the patient and the CF care team, and that is going to continue to be critical for CFTR modulators, in addition to the maintenance therapies that modulators are added to.
0: Thank you for sharing those insights, Doctor, as well as for today's cases and discussion. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing what we've talked about today in light of our learning objectives. So to begin, our first learning objective the potential side effects
1: that may occur with CFTR modulator therapy. So the things to pay attention to when starting CFTR modulator therapies include the potential for drug-drug interaction, specifically those when modulators are used with rifampin or antifungals. There is a need to monitor liver function tests and to monitor for cataracts in younger patients, particularly those who are on Ivacaftor and chest tightness has been reported with patients starting Ivacaftor-Lumacaftor that typically will resolve over the span of one to two weeks.
0: And our second learning objective, how to determine which patients are candidates for modulator therapy and what short-term and long-term benefits might be seen?
1: Ivacaftor is FDA-approved for CF patients with approximately 35 different CFTR mutations. These include gating mutations, the R117H mutation, which is a mixed gating and conduction mutation, and several rare mutations which have recently been shown to be responsive to Ivacaftor based on laboratory testing. Ivacaftor approval for these different populations and these patients with different genetic causes of CF goes down to the age of two years. Ivacaftor Lumacaftor is approved for patients with two copies of F508-DEL and are over the age of six years. Short-term benefits can be seen in terms of lung function and symptoms, and this is most effectively seen in patients who are candidates for Ivacaftor, while longer-term benefits include disease stability, improvement in weight, and change in lung function decline over time. And this has been shown for both Ivacaftor-treated patients, specifically those with the G551D CFTR mutation, and also for patients with two copies of F508 treated with Ivacaftor and Lumacaftor combination therapy.
0: And finally, the potential disease-modifying therapies that are currently in clinical development to treat cystic fibrosis.
1: Well, the first is that the available modulators are going to continue to be extended into new populations. This includes younger patients or, and patients with less established disease. There also is the potential to extend it into new CFTR-causing mutations. There are numerous drugs and modulators specifically that are in development by several different companies. These include new correctors of F508, new potentiators, next-generation correctors, and drugs that work differently, such as suppressors of premature stop mutations and amplifiers, which increase the amount of available CFTR substrate for subsequent modulation by other drugs.
0: From the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Dr. John Clancy, thank you for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast.
1: No, I want to say thank you. This has really been a, a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed being able to give you these updates, and I look forward to what next year brings. We're very excited in the CF research community. Thank you again. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at
0: www.esysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME-CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dieticians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive eCystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.eCysticFibrosisReview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, and GEC USA Incorporated. This program is copyrighted with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.